Hello friends, my name is Mike. Thank you for joining me today on Up North Rocks, Northern Ontario's only climbing podcast. Listen to me, Annie. I don't care how experienced you are. A smart climber always wears a belt and suspenders. Dad. Two cams are safe, three's even better. Dad. Not kidding, Annie. Nobody's going anywhere until you put another cam in the wall. Dad, I have three cams. He's just yanking your chain. What the? This route is sandbagged. There's no way this is 5'5". Five five. This is like 5'8". D. Are you someone who is interested in learning to climb in northwestern Ontario? or just want to get out for a fun adventure? If so, Eric Fishman and Outdoor Skills and Thrills has you covered. With over 25 years experience climbing and over a decade of experience guiding in the region, Eric Fishman is Northwestern Ontario's premier rock and ice climbing guide. Whether you're a beginner or a veteran, big or small, young or old, the Outdoor Skills and Thrills team is always committed to providing a fun and challenging environment to anybody and everybody. You will always be guided by their highly experienced, friendly, and passionate guides through an exciting and enjoyable experience in the best climbing areas around Thunder Bay. Offering summer courses in beginner rock climbing, sport climbing, and trad climbing, and winter courses in beginner ice climbing, leading on ice, and mixed climbing, Outdoor Skills and Thrills has the programs you need to take your climbing to the next level. Check them out online at OutdoorSkillsAndThrills.com, on Instagram at Outdoor underscore Skills, or find them on Facebook to book your next guided climbing adventure. Hi friends, thanks for tuning in today. On this episode, I sit down with someone all of us ice climbers in Northern Ontario owe a big thank you to, author of Superior Ice, Eric Landman. Eric started making trips to the region in the late 80s, and went on to become a central piece of the ice climbing scene around here, meticulously cataloging first ascents and pictures in the 90s and early 2000s, and putting together the books that we now prize as the resource for ice climbers in this neck of the woods. If you don't already have a copy of Superior Select, you should check it out at Wilderness Supply in Thunder Bay, where you can pick yourself up your own copy. I was quite excited that Eric agreed to be on the show, and especially just in time to put this episode out ahead of the Nipigon Ice Fest. I hope that some of you have the chance to listen to this on your way to Nipigon. Also, I have an exciting piece of news to share for those who like to climb on tools, and especially those who like to do so even when there's no ice. There's a dry tool comp coming up in southern Ontario this spring. This comp is scheduled for June 3rd at Of Rock and Chalk in Newmarket. Check out at Dry Tool Night on Instagram to stay up to date on details about the comp as they are released. And so with that... Here's my conversation with guidebook author and ice climber, Eric Landman. Hi there, Eric. Nice to, uh, nice to sit down with you. Hi, Mike. So, uh... I mean, for those of you who don't know, of course, uh, this is Eric Landman, who is the author of Superior Selects and the Superior Not Selects, the, the phone book version of the ice book. Um, but of course, he's he's much more than that. Um, so, Eric, I realized before I did this that I know almost nothing about you, aside from what I just said, that you wrote those two books. Um, mm-hmm. 
do you mind telling us, you know, where you're from, where you grew up, how you got into climbing, that kind of thing? Yeah, not at all. Well, I had lived almost my entire life in Wisconsin, in Madison, Wisconsin. <clears throat> and um, until recently, never lived anywhere else. So being a Midwestern climber, wanted to travel. Um, I got into rock climbing first with the Boy Scouts, believe it or not when I was uh, 17 and that was at Devil's Lake. And then a couple of years later in the winter and maybe in the um, late seventies, I got the book Climbing Ice by Yvonne Chouinard for Christmas. Cause then I was just enchanted with ice. It just looks like so magical. It was so cool. So I said, oh, this is so cool. I've got to do this. So we started poking around trying to buy some, some tools and I was just a newly, um, newly married. I got married very young, uh, had a low wage job, didn't have much money. So I bought a gold line rope and a steel carabiner. Taught myself to repel off my parents' silo. They had a homes, homestead <laughs> near, near Madison. Cool. And then we found some, some friends and we kind of started ice climbing such as it is in Wisconsin, Southern Wisconsin and Southwestern Wisconsin. Uh, there's a few routes and some are fun, but we had a, I had a Chenard North wall hammer straight shaft and an 80 centimeter REI PLA. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a really long tool and a really short tool. And I was just cause we couldn't afford anything else. It was just, everything was super expensive. Climbing in blue jeans, wool shirts, no no helmets <laughs> wow of course didn't lead anything because that was crazy you know yeah on that gear crazy. especially that would have been particularly crazy yeah so that was in uh so we would climb at governor dodge and then we found out about why loosing and lone rock which is uh southwest wisconsin and then uh you know as i got more interested in it i found uh sean parent's guidebook Mm -hmm. actually had it right here this one. Oh, cool wow that's a collector's item right there yeah and uh what's the date on that book the date is 1986 okay cool then i don't have the greatest memory for dates but it was around then that i bought it and i found it at Erwan mountain outfitters and state street on state street in madison wisconsin which was a pretty good out outfitter pretty good shop did Good gear, climbing gear. They didn't have axes. I had a mail order those from REI when REI didn't have stores. <laughs> REI oh, really, Seattle. I didn't even know that, that REI was originally just a mail order kind of thing. Was, well, they had one store in Seattle. That was it. Okay, gotcha. You know, they've grown into this behemoth. Right. For those that don't know, REI is like the, the mech of the states. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. That's right. Very similar. Uh, so uh, I ordered my first pair of Salewa crampons and a couple Salewa ice screws. And then we, so we saw this and we thought, oh, we got to go up north. We got to go check this out. So that was in the uh, late 80s. Doesn't seem that long ago, but I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we drove my little Toyota Tercel up there. Raging blizzard north of Thunder Bay. We missed the highway, the turnoff to Nipigon or to to the 
to the crag. We were staying at McCollum's resort mm-hmm. in uh, Bay. And uh, after about a half an hour, we realized we just went too far. So we had to turn around and go back, almost got stuck, almost got smashed by transports. It was, it was a crazy time. And then we finally got there and we stayed the night and it was minus 30 Celsius. We had like six inches of ice on the water bucket out in the porch. Mm-hmm. We get up the next day and here we are in this magical place where we came in a, a night in a raging blizzard, couldn't see a damn thing, you know? And we wake up and we're going, oh my God, this is incredible. This is like ice heaven because that those cabins are right across the road from Cascade Falls. Totally. Yeah. Um, so it was really cold i mean really cold i think by then we might have done a couple little tentative leads but so i started trying to lead up cascade falls in my co-flock boots my co-flock double boots and my funky tools and stuff and that didn't last very long because it was so cold it was crazy cold mm-hmm. so i think we gave up on that when the first lead actual lead i did was tempest and that mm-hmm. went okay so that was it's like, all right, I can lead ice. It was pretty, pretty awesome. I may have had a helmet by then. I'm not sure. I don't remember <laughs> where that came from. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, Definitely still had wool clothes, though. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, cool. So then, um, I don't know, the years went by. I started climbing more. Uh, then the scene really, really picked up up north. And uh, a lot of route development going on in the 90s. Um, locals like Wes Bender and Brian Botten and Nick Buddha and you know every generation of students that came through Lakehead always wanted to do new stuff so it was kind of amusing to me because here I am I live a thousand miles away from Nipigon or a thousand <laughs> kilometers 660 miles and we would and yet most of the new routes were being done by Americans I'm right. going, what's the deal? What's going on here with you Canadians? <laughs> Honestly, I've I've wondered the same thing. I mean, we truly didn't understand it because there was all this real estate up there that's like, oh my God, there's all these cool new routes you could do. And we would go up there and knock off two or three in a trip and 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 but then but then Wes and his buddies got going and Nick and then it was like, whoa, look out, they're really kicking into high gear. Um but some of the Americans that I would go up with it was like J Lo. James Loveridge, mm-hmm. uh, Matt Chimbroni, Dave Roney. Roney is the machine. Mm-hmm. Crazy strong. Um, and, you know, there, there were others. Uh, Mark Risch from Michigan. And um, this is at the time when Sean Perrant was in the area as the e-guide. Mm-hmm. Um, really a whole other discussion. But um, Sean did the original work. He put in lots and lots of routes and he would guide clients up and they would do new routes. And I, I uh, went to, I think, the second or third Ice Fest, Nipigon Ice Fest. I don't even know what year it was, but I went to six, quite a few successive Ice Fests up in Nipigon, mm-hmm. mostly at the Legion Hall. Mm-hmm. And we would usually stay at the Hotel Normandy. Now, not there anymore because it burned down a while ago under possibly suspicious circumstances <laughs> okay so, the proprietor there was gunther heine and and his wife uh, who came gunther bought 
the Normandy sight unseen from Germany, from Bavaria. He wow. saw a little ad in the newspaper, come to Canada, buy this hotel, and he bought it. I mean, that blows my mind still to this day. Mm -hmm. That's a bold choice. And then to end up in Nipigon of all places. and Yeah, his wife was not not happy there she was carmen her name was she was that was too bad but we would always try to stay with gunther because it was pretty pretty beat down place and he didn't really have much business so uh i love staying there though because the rooms were big he was friendly and the best thing ever was radiators to dry your gloves and socks in <laughs> mm. nice so we would go there um occasionally he would make us dinner we'd, we'd buy a dinner because he had a restaurant he was actually quite a good cook hmm. but usually we go to cafe is that open anymore is it, did it reopen uh i think it's like changed changed hands slash changed names a few times but i'm not oh, sure yeah. if it's currently yeah. open or not well it was owned by the same people forever of course. right right where we would go yeah. and there there was a whole crew of uh uh twin cities climbers too like peter lenz and mike dalberg and um I mean, just a whole whole bunch of them. Carolyn Hansen, uh, Kendra Stritch, mm -hmm. and Carter Stritch. Um, yeah, so it was it was a pretty pretty busy scene, but not that many climbers still. And so after a while, um, Sean had Sean wanted to put out this guidebook, and I said, "This this is this is barely a guidebook. I mean, it's." The information was accurate, but it was just horrible to try to use. Yeah, there's it's no sparse. Yeah. <laughs> no pictures. I mean, there's no belay descriptions. There's no, it's just, yeah. So mm -hmm. I put out a, I was, a, I'm a graphic artist. I was a graphic artist at the time, had a uh, graphic arts business. So I said, we can put out a guidebook. And at the time, I had put out my first guidebook, which is Gibraltar Rocks. Climbers Guide to Gibraltar Rock in Wisconsin. Cool. There he is closed. And so Sean and I and my partner, Don, he Nick, agreed to put out a guidebook. And the result of that was this guidebook. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And yeah. what what's the year on that one? This one is 93. Okay. 1993. And this came with a... Uh, very nice two-color map. Oh, nice. Hold on map showing the valley and all the climbs and the big panel on the left side there of your screen is all the climb names and the ratings. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was for Brain um, Bay, Kemba Bay, and Ice Station Superior. And that was, of course, like a huge step up. Somewhere in there, I, have, I started a website called climbingcentral.com. Right. And that was the way the climbers would get a hold of each other. And there, I put up a few route descriptions. And but the whole, the main reason was just to get information out there. It was there was no Facebook. This was even before MySpace, if you even know what that is. Uh, <laughs> and there was there was literally nowhere else to go, um, except the Alpine Club of Canada. The site was run by West Bender for a while there. My timelines may be a little off here, but the ACC was keeping track of sense and then their website broke and never got fixed i guess mm -hmm. um, so I, I was trying to keep track of what routes were 
being done. And I did keep track of it for, for quite a while and put them in a new uh, new guidebook. And that was this one, Superior, Superior Ice. Yes, this is the one that everybody wants. Yeah. Yes, I will say I have managed to secure myself a copy of that book, which oh. I'm quite quite proud of. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I almost wish I would have printed more, but the trouble is, you're not going to make any money printing guidebooks for no. ice climbing. Certainly, it's not, not the cent central part of the continent. Yeah, not so, exactly yeah. a get rich quick scheme. So that was really cool because I worked with seven different authors. The the guidebook covers the entire Lake Superior region, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, Ontario, Northern Ontario, and uh, the UP, except for Munising, because Munising was a whole separate destination. Mm -hmm. So there's like, I don't even know, like it's 350 routes or something like that. It's, it's like crazy. Yeah, it's a lot of climbs. We really started digging into it. So I found regional regional experts, and I got them to write their um, kind of like a little mini guidebook, but we edited it and, and assembled it all and made it all look and sound the same. So that's why I call it a compendium, because it was just a bunch of collections of things from a lot of different authors. And, and I wrote a couple of sections myself from our areas, mm -hmm. such as the um so that was the 90s i i did a bunch of new routes with different partners uh somewhere in there we didn't we went into agua canyon in the east shore north of the sioux and uh, sean was working over there too to set up new routes and he had a camp so my son and a couple of others and i went in there and did a handful of routes there too. That's a really unique area. I don't even know mm -hmm. if the train's running anymore. It seems to start and stop. Who knows? Yeah, these days I think sadly it's not running, but there is a movement to get it going again. So cross our fingers that it happens. Yeah. yeah. I haven't was, had the, the pleasure myself. I bet. It's quite yeah. interesting. Um, one time when, <laughs> after the map came out, oh, which is right here, by the way. Agua Canyon map. Cool. Uh, also printed on plastic. Plastic. It's not really paper, it's plastic. Anyway, it's tear proof, waterproof. Um, after that came out, there was more exploration to do in, by Montreal River, and I was uh, interested in a particular cliff lines. So I sent it up to the ministry and I got some topo maps in the mail and uh, did the research. And so my buddy and I, a couple months later, took the train in. They tossed our stuff out of the baggage <laughs> car right where we wanted to stop. And we were camping. And again, it was like 30 below. It's like, oh my God, I'm glad I got my minus 30 sleeping bag. <laughs> it was so cold. Um, but we busted a trail over to the cliff line and did a couple new routes. So that was some more exploration. It was pretty fun. Somewhere in, the, in here, too, Sean was developing Paradise. I don't think anybody climbs the Paradise anymore. If I, it takes a bit of effort to get there. But that's crag that's actually on the backside of Cama Bay. So you have to right. drive about 8K down the logging road. And then you park by a trapper's line. And you 
snowshoe around the around the end of the end of the cliff line there. And um, Dave Roney and I did uh, I guess three new routes there, and another friend of mine and I did like three others. And during this time, this was like really a lot of route development going on, especially Dave and and Wes and were a, just a power duo. They did all kinds of crazy, super hard route, like kamikaze and just uh, Dave and I did Kama Bay Cakewalk, um, separate column to the left of Icebreakers. Mm -hmm. And Dave gets all the credit. He's just a machine. He's, I mean, I barely made up the thing. I was just, it's like, how in the hell are you going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. He's so strong. Um, and, oh, and you know, others like John Jugenheimer was around quite a bit. And they, there's just a whole, I mean, a whole mess. I can't remember all the names. Lots of climbers, a lot of Americans, especially. But I, you know, I'd only go up there two or three times a year. So I didn't really know the local crew very well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of other people that went there that I just, I just don't know about. Um, I mean, it's a, I find it incredible how much folks from the States were able to do kind of in that period, especially given, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a ton of work to do it. If you're based here, you know, like to, to make the trip from Thunder Bay to Nipigon and climb all day. And especially if you're, if you're cutting trails or putting up new lines, it's a huge amount of work. And so to imagine oh, doing yeah. it all on trips from the twin cities or Madison is, is yeah, kind that's of standard. A, lot of, that's, you know, a lot of the times there weren't even trails broken in. I'm going, what's the deal with these Canadian climbers? Aren't they even coming up here? What? Mm -hmm. <laughs> if I had a place like this, it was two hours away for sure. I'd be up here like every weekend. Mm -hmm. It was mystifying. Um, I don't know. It just, it's the old 80, 20 rule, I guess, you know, not many people willing to do new route exploration. Of course, you know, you have to be pretty competent to do that too. Not just half crazy, but you know, you have to be good and you have to be willing to really put in a lot of work. So it, mm -hmm. it was fun. It was really great. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, I mean, well, I think that the probably everyone around here is, who is out climbing those routes these days is quite thankful that you guys did. If not, maybe a little bit jealous of all the folks that, uh, that ticked off all the, the plumb lines back in the day. Yeah. Well, there's still more to be done. I, I would imagine and haven't even mentioned the mixed routes. So you know, J yeah. and, and uh, Adam Daly, especially just crazy strong. Mm -hmm. he in Duluth. There's a, mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a cadre of Duluth climbers who come up too. Um, they were doing some really hard mixed mixed routes, you know, M7, ME, M9 even. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah road, the, well, the, the hardest road. route in town to this day is is Road to Nowhere M10, uh, which is a daily first descent. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, he's, he's just incredible to watch. So there's some really good people around here. Yeah. I didn't mention Scott Backey's either. Jeez, mm -hmm. I mean, there's just a lot of them. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I mean, so well, weird. all those names you mentioned, that's really a, as a who's who of of Thunder Bay or Northern Ontario ice climbing in the 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, I don't know, then I started climbing a bit, my, pers my personal journey was I started climbing a bit more in Munising. I didn't have that much time. 
to go to Canada. I was getting a little tired of driving that far. It's it's ten and a half hours drive from where I live. You know, it's a long ways. Mm-hmm. Of course, inevitably there's a snowstorm one way going north or south. One you know, so it's really a lot of work. I started climbing more in Munising, and then uh, yeah, then I don't know. Fast forward many years, then I moved to Bozeman, Montana, three years ago for the ice climbing. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, I was wondering about that. So you mentioned when we were talking before the interview that you had moved to Bozeman, and I was wondering if it was work or climbing or or whatnot that brought you there. So it was climbing. Yeah, yeah, it's climbing. I, I mean, Bozeman Highlight Canyon is a destination. It's really mm-hmm. incredible. Um, this town, people in this area live here. Like this is where Conrad Anchor lives. Mm-hmm. Jack Tackle lives in Red Lodge, which is down the highway a little ways. Um, there's a bunch more famous climbers that live here, and they, they live here because the climbing's great. It's it the trailhead is well when it's snowy. It's forty minutes from my my apartment. Wow! You know, when it's not snowy, it's twenty five minutes. So it's just like wow, it's right there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm not used to that. You know, I would have to drive hours and hours to go climb anything, even halfway reasonable. Um, so let's see. Yeah, during that time period, I guess we did some new routes in Unising and also uh, along the farther west in the edge of the UP, the Upper Peninsula, and also on the far right where the, the UP joins Wisconsin. There's a place called Montreal River. There's lots of Montreal rivers. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't know about the, the south of the lake, Montreal River. Yeah, there's one right there on the edge where Wisconsin meets Michigan, okay. UP. There's a, a mine there, famous Montreal River mine. And we did a bunch of routes there. I don't know, five or six new ones, which weirdly hadn't been discovered until about five or six years ago. Um. Mostly probably because they fall right into the lake and the lake has to be frozen and you have to go looking for them. But see, mm-hmm. there you go. See, there's more stuff up there. Mm-hmm. People just have to go look. It's mm, true. Yeah. So now I'm, yeah, I'm climbing in a highlight. Um, I go to the Rockies up uh, by Canmore and Lake Louise area and up at the Icefields Parkway. I've taken a number of trips there. Um, somewhere I, Lately, I've been doing rock climbing and some mountain biking, just casual stuff. But I also like to do high altitude mountaineering. So I've been to a fair number of countries doing that. Um, so that's what's keeping me busy. Yeah, cool. I didn't know that you were into uh, the high altitude stuff. What what kind of peaks have you uh, have you done? Well, I've had six trips to Peru. Got up over 6,000 meters several times. Um, peaks like Ashinka, Ron Rapalka, Pisco, uh, Urus, um, Tokyo Rahu, Arison Rahu, Karaz. Those are all pretty cool mountains. And if they're well, so hot, it's crazy high. And what kind of objectives are those? Like mix of ice, rock, and snow? or? Um, no, these are snow and ice routes almost yeah. exclusively. Really no rock. Um, then, uh, let's see, I went to Bolivia once. That was fun. Not, not so hard. 
Uh, the highest event is on Shishapangma, which is one of the 8,000-meter peaks in Tibet. I got up to 7,000 meters before I um, got a really bad case of bronchitis and had to call it. In hmm. Argentina a couple times. It was there last winter about this time, and we did a peak called, um, let's see, what is it called? Mercedario, Nevado Mercedario, which is 6,550 meters, quite tall. And uh, on Aconcagua a couple times, climbed Denali, been to Alaska five times. So, yeah, I like that kind of stuff's fun. <laughs> yeah. Type two fun. Yeah, sounds very type two fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what I've been up to. Oh, that's wild. I don't know how you have any time to do anything other than write guidebooks and go on all those trips. <laughs> well, I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> Fair. I don't. Uh, I don't watch any TV for one thing. Mm -hmm. I don't even own a TV. Um, yeah, I mean, I I just like to climb. I don't train all that hard. I'm kind of lazy when it comes to training. But if I have a objective, then I start training. Right. And what does yeah, training yeah. look like for you? Oh, well, for ice climbing training, I do weight weight workouts, free weights. I do what's called rollies. So you, have a, you have a bar with a cord on it and a 10 or 15 pound weight, and you roll it like this, mm -hmm. up and then down. You do that yep. as many times as you can stand. Um, ice axe pull-ups, half raises or and hangs. So you hang, just hang there. Mm -hmm. Without pull up, lock offs are called mm -hmm. um, calf raises with a I don't know 30 40 pound weight vest. Do like 40 calf raises, so this this would be a set mm -hmm. and uh, free weights with 25 pound weights doing wrist curls, 25 pound wrist curls, and then a, a motion like a striking an axe like that, only with a 25 pound weight to reps of 50. Hmm, that's an interesting one. I've never heard. I've always thought like there must be something I could be doing, especially with yeah. the non the non dominant hand. Like, yeah. practice the whacking. That's a that's a good idea. Kind of dreamed that one up, and it seems to work. So, <laughs> yeah, that's I'm I'm gonna steal that one from you. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, what else do I do for training? I I do a lot of hiking, a lot of walking. I live. Bozeman is about fifty six hundred feet altitude so i you know climbing up in highlight you're usually up around 6500 6000 to 6500 feet occasionally we get up higher up the valley is more like 8000 feet or 9000 feet so it is a little you know you notice it if you just drove in here and you hop on a trail it's like ooh, sarah's a little thin right well I like to do long hikes in mountains Go up high, go up to nine or ten thousand feet. That's what I do for training. Cool. Wow, good for you. Honestly, that's uh <laughs> I think all of us could uh could stand to do a little more of all of that. I mean certainly anything at nothing at high altitude happens around here, but but otherwise, <laughs> yeah. uh yeah. Well I know I lived there there my whole life. Madison was eight hundred and fifty feet above sea level, so you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, check so out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thunder Bay. I think it's like six hundred meters above sea level. If that does that ring true to you? Yeah. Um, 
suppose I never thought about it really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bad. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Um, are there any particular, I don't know, funny or exciting or scary stories from the uh, the golden age of climbing in this neck of the woods that you would be willing to share or come to mind? Um, well, when we were staying in the uh, Dipping and Ice Fest, yeah, here's, here's a good one. This is probably, I don't know, maybe the, well, let's see. Okay. I, I actually can't put a date on this. This is the Nipigon Ice Fest in 1998. This was a strange one because the Ice Fest was sponsored by the North Face, which is weird because, you know, it's Nipigon, right? How many climbers totally. go there? Yeah. The Ice Fest had maybe 50 people there total. Mm -hmm. And here shows up Alex Lowe and Conrad Anchor because they were North Face athletes. We're going, right. what's going on here? This is crazy. Well, we were at the bar in the Normandy Hotel, and we, we were doing some little little games. One of the games was there was a wash tub, big wash tub, full of ice water. And the game was, you to take your shoes off, your boots off, and see how long you could stand in the ice water without having to get out. <laughs> and we're going, okay, that looks painful, but all right, let's do it. So we had a couple of people try to do it. There's a guy from the Sioux, um, Steve Foster. I think it was Steve. And he's just a strapping young guy and really strong. He would wear a kilt. It was pretty funny. Um, so he gets in there, takes the boot ups, gets in there, and he he lasts a, quite a while. And I'm going, whoa, that's, that's going to be hard to beat. And then a couple of other people try it, and they, no, they don't. And I wasn't going to try it, because that's cold. <laughs> <laughs> and then here comes somebody else, kind of a skinny guy with a hat, just a big-ass grin. And he goes, I'll try it. So he takes his boots off, and he stands in there. And he's just standing there with his arms crossed. And just smiling, just grinning. It's like, we're just going, what is the deal with this guy? What, is he superhuman or what? After a while, he goes, I can stand here all night. He goes, I got plastic legs. <laughs> he had two prosthetic legs. Oh, wow. And his name was Ed Homer. He was a climber who was flying a bush plane in Alaska, crashed and had a horrible accident. Some people died and he lost his legs, oh, but he was goodness. coming back into climbing after that. So everybody just completely busted up because nobody, nobody expected that. Right. So, so he won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, that's pretty great. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. I have yeah. heard, I've heard tales of the time that Conrad anchor came, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it, and then we, we were going. Uh, we were Ed and and I and my partner Steve Barron and his, Ed's partner Kelly Raymond uh, from the Sioux. We're going to Denali the first time in '98, sponsored partly by his prosthetics company. Hmm. And so we have a picture with the four team members of us and Alex, and we had a picture shot. And that picture is now up in the um, up above the doorway in the Fairmont Hotel in Telkina. So that's pretty cool. That's very yeah. cool. 
Wow. So if you go there, check it out. Look around. You'll see. Yeah. It. Find the photo of, of Eric and Alex and crew. That's yeah. awesome. That's huh. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I well, I, I share your so what you're saying earlier about like where uh you know where all the Canadians at in the new routing and and whatnot like I in in my mind the the sort of period of time that you're talking about is I feel like I I compare it to like not it not in terms of scale but like the golden age of Yosemite that you know has so much mm -hmm. lore about it it's like the golden age I, of northern Ontario is like the early 90s I agree we put in so many routes with so many different partners and they were I mean, I didn't do any by any means the hardest ones. Not, I'm just kind of an average climber, but I'm not afraid to get out there and try things. But some of my buddies are like, "Holy crap, you did that! Wow, <laughs> you know, it's impressive, <laughs> really impressive." Totally. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's there's a, a yeah there was, an incredible there was, number of routes that many of us here still dream about climbing, but feel yeah. far out of reach. I mean, most of them. 40 or 50 routes put in in a manner of five or six years. It was mm -hmm. nuts. A lot of those, I don't know if any of those have been, some of those have not been repeated. Pretty sure. Like some of the really hard mixed routes. And mm -hmm. Some are a little ephemeral. Like Dave and I did a route called psychotic episode, which I'd never seen form before in climbing up there for 15 years. So it, it was a five plus and I, there's no way in hell I could have let that. I barely hung on trying to second it. So, you know, things like that are very ephemeral. They don't come in much at all. And when they do, it's like, whoa, that is really hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. There was all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. One one thing that I will say about the the mixed climbing around here is that there there's a real uh there's a real grade gap. Uh kind of everywhere from like M well, basically anything sub M seven. <laughs> There's uh, from, a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah from so many <laughs> from so many hardcores coming from away and putting up hard roots. There's not much for us uh, mere mortals to cut our teeth yeah. on around here. I made up an M um, made it up an M seven once. <laughs> nice. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> M five maybe I got a fighting chance, but uh, yeah. yeah, I mean that's a problem with well, it's a problem with rock too, you know. You go, oh, nothing gets me more irritated than reading some article, usually it's in climbing, about uh, best moderates in such and such a crag, and they start at 5'10". It's like, what the hell is that? That's not a moderate. Moderate's like 5'7". Mm -hmm. It's like some kind of wacky mentality. You guys get your head out of clubs, and there's a lot of climbers. It's, it's, it's not fair to beginning climbers, because they think, oh, my God, I'm nowhere good enough. I must suck at climbing. Oh, no, that's not it. These are just very hard routes. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Yeah, well, I mean, there are a few of us that are, that we're working on it. We're trying to get there. Yeah. We're we're doing our pull-ups. We're scratching around on some rock. We're we're trying to become, uh, <laughs> we kind of join the leagues of the, the James Leverages and the Adam Dailies and whatnot. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a um, T-Bay boy who moved made it big time and moved out west brandon pullen and he's been involved in a lot of moderate route development in the rockies so props to him for sure you know, he's like putting up you know bolted five sevens and you know multi-pitch bolted five sevens and routes like that it's like mm -hmm. all right 
Totally. That's all we need. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, uh, I had the chance to interview Brandon. Um, oh, really? we had a, we had a great chat. Um, yeah, yeah it's, uh, and yeah, he's doing great work for, well, for one thing, for continually, you know, always trying to put Northern Ontario on the map, uh, yeah. in Griff yeah. magazine and, and whatnot, but yeah, also doing lots of good development across the country and, and supporting right. climbing. Yeah. Very cool. Oh, uh, I don't know what else yeah i mean i don't know in general i i i take my hat off to you for all the work that you've done in terms of supporting climbing in this neck of the woods especially from afar for all those years it's always i think for a lot of people they've always wondered like you know why is the guy that wrote the guidebook from so far away i'm sure they did yeah <laughs> who else was gonna do it <laughs> totally yeah yeah way way to you know just grab the bull by the horns and actually yeah there's a, a good question is what led to uh to the publishing of the select book um, in the 2000s or whenever that well, was. Um, Superior Ice was sold out and uh, I was getting some requests to update it, but um, that was just too big a task. There's too many new routes too, and too expensive to print it. I mean, it, it's just the, the economics of this are, I would print, um, usually 500 guidebooks. It would take me six or seven years to sell 500 guidebooks, which means not only did I do all the production and assembly for free, which is, takes months of work to get all the photos, do all the correspondence, fact checking, emails back and forth to FA, you know, first ascensionists. Um, then I would do all the maps. I was very proud of the maps. They take a long time to get right. After all that work, which I did basically because I like to, then I have to foot a bill of five or six thousand dollars to print the books, do a website to sell them, and then then I sell you know thirty books, and then they sit in my basement, mm -hmm. and that that's the reality of it because there just aren't that many ice climbers. Is you know as part of it. And still, even to this day, even though it's, quote, busy, <laughs> still not that busy. I mean, this is not Ure. This isn't, you know, this isn't Rocky Mountains. It's, there's just not that many people around. So as an economic proposition, it was an abject failure, but that's not why I did it. So I did Superior Select because I needed a new guidebook. And a lot of the stuff that was in the other ones is just sort of documentary. You wouldn't climb a bunch of that it's just not worth it they're not that interesting um, you know you got some 30 foot high ice bump two miles out in the bush well who cares <laughs> i'm not gonna go there again <laughs> uh, but there are some stellar routes really stellar so i thought well why not just do a select you know it's, it's a subset of the routes but but a big subset a lot of really great routes and uh Still, there's a new guidebook out, and it's still the only guidebook that's out there. Mm -hmm. um, got a few left, so I hope nobody comes out with a new guidebook. So I want to sell these. <laughs> yeah, fair. So yeah, I, I was wondering about that as well. So you still have some stock with you in Montana? Yeah, not that many though. I've got about sixty books. Okay. Total. Wow. That's all there is. It won't be reprinted. Okay, so, so you heard it here first, folks. Get it, get it while it's good. There's not, yeah, not that many yeah. left out there. 
awesome. for the record, um, Wilderness Supply does sell them. Uh, I don't know if they're out or what, but they've been very good to me. They, they stock them, and so that's a place to go nice. locally. Yeah, that's right. And that's where I bought my copy. They get a discount, uh, like, you know, selling trade discount to them. So it's good for them, too. I, you know, I believe in keeping the local shops busy and supporting them. Definitely, so yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for folks around here, Wilderness is the only climbing shop between, I don't even know, like somewhere, whatever is the closest one in Southern Ontario and Winnipeg and Duluth or Minneapolis. So Winnipeg's our spot. Maybe the Sioux. Is there a climbing shop in the Sioux? Not that I know of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not that I've ever been to, but it's a good question. Minneapolis. Duluth, I'm sure. maybe. I'm sure, oh, yeah. I'm going out of business too. I guess it's Minneapolis. Yeah, there you go. So wilderness supply. That's that's the place to go. That's yeah. cool. And do you sell books directly? Like do people contact you and, and oh, order yeah. books? Yeah. Yeah. The thirty dollars US plus shipping. Nice. Yep. So yeah, so you can just find me on Facebook and send me a message. Actually, that's a good question. So before I realized this would have been, you know, five years ago or something, before I realized that Wilderness had copies of the books, I actually had almost ordered one from you. And I was also going to order a poster of Conrad Anchor climbing, I think it's Icebreakers. Is that true? Were you I selling was. posters? I was, yeah. Yeah. Do, do any of those still exist in the universe or are they all gone? You know, I'd have to look. Uh, I might have one. Okay. He's of Superior Ice. Oh, totally. Yeah. And that was, that was, uh, <laughs> that was the year he was up to do the sponsoring of that ice fest I was mentioning. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, if it really turns out that you do, uh, if it turns out that you do have a poster left, I would happily, uh, buy that from you and, and send you the money for the shipping. So let me know. All right. It, it's really funny because I, my apartment is, is literally like five blocks away from Conrad's house. <laughs> wow. Cool. Do you see each other out uh, climbing in highlight? That's also funny. I've never once seen him out in the crags. <laughs> but hmm. I know he goes out there. I just think he just doesn't, you know, he kind of keeps a low profile. Mm -hmm. It's understandable. Probably. Yeah. It's How many good. years have you been in Bozeman? Just, uh, it's going on, let's see, three years. Cool. Three years. Very cool. Well, lots uh, more to do out here. Lots more to do. Yeah, you got. Do you have a long tick list of routes in in highlight, or they sort of bubble to the surface as I complete the ones that I'm I'm done. I uh, I was involved in a couple of quite serious accidents. Mm. Uh, one of which my partner died. Oh no! And so I've got some pretty severe trauma anxiety. So it's taken me years to recover from that, but I've been working with the mountain muskox and in, in uh, Canmore, and there's possibly a local chapter going to come up out here. So that's been a bit of a setback, but there is a local support group of people who suffered traumatic, mount, especially outdoor trauma, and uh, kind of, kind of, I think segue into the mountain muskox chapter. So that's kind of, you know change the direction of the trajectory a bit let's just say but i i'm not giving up and i've come back and i'm leading wi4 now um 
which is about where I was before and uh, working on rock now. So don't, don't mean to end with that kind of a bummer of a thing here, but it's part of what we do and um, it should be acknowledged. Totally. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you, you sharing that and I'm sorry to hear, but, uh, and I'm glad to hear that you're, that you're working with Mountain Muskox. That seems like a really wonderful organization of, I've uh, yeah, appreciated Sarah watching it from afar. Sarah and Barry are, are great people and um, facilitators also. And I was up there in um, Canmore a couple months ago for an intensive workshop. And it was really, the energy was amazing. Really, really amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a, a, a bad note to end on at all. I mean, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think that's a thing that, that we all need to, to keep in mind because of the the scary things that we like to do on the weekend as they say gravity is on full and it always wins there you go there you go we'll be wow. careful out there awesome well yeah thank you so much for for sitting down down eric and and thank you for all the work you've done over the years and supporting climbing in the region and uh yeah it was great to chat and hopefully we run into each other one day i mean I know uh, Nifigan's, Nifigan's a lot further from Montana than it is from Wisconsin, but, uh, you know, maybe yeah. I'll see you over there one day. Possibly. Well, thanks you. Thank you for the invite. Awesome. All right. Cheers. Take care. Yeah.